Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, today we're talking to my friend Hane, who is a Finnish Ashtanga yoga teacher, and she also travels the world teaching yoga and Pilates. I first met Hane in 2004 in Mysore, India, just right after she had a very traumatic, um, pretty much debilitating back injury. And it was so inspiring for me to watch her rehabilitate her spine, her back, and recover from this injury, Uh, not just that year, but she came back year after year, and to watch her progress of slowly, slowly recovering from a very traumatic back injury. And so today we have her story that she's going to share with us, as well as her experience uh, teaching and traveling and all of her beautiful um, stories about Finland and growing up there. Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of 9-11, And it's hard to believe that 20 years has passed. So much changed after that day, September 11th, 20 years ago. And so we also touch upon where each of us were uh, on 9-11 and how it affected us in our lives. And also Patabi Joyce, Sharat, and Saraswati were in New York on 9-11. And Hane was on her way there to practice with Patabi Joyce at that time. So you'll get to hear our stories as well surrounding the events of 9-11. So in a little bit of a commemoration to this day that changed our lives and our history as a world, um, we offer this interview with Hane for you to enjoy and listen to. So without waiting any longer, we'll uh, head on over to the interview now. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm Harmony and I'm here with Russell. Hi everyone. I've been asked to um, restrain myself today for, uh, for our very special guest, our very special podcast many times through messenger email um <laughs> and just now uh, right before we got on the podcast i was i was asked specifically do not ask about our guest's love life so i'm just going to make sure <laughs> that uh, we do not do that so so we have a beautiful woman here with us today hane sudama welcome right. hane. hane thank you <laughs> thank you so good to hear you guys it's, it's so, so nice to, to talk you. to you too yeah it's been a while huh it has been several years indeed <laughs> i think for for our listeners at home i'd like to to introduce you a little bit one of the things that that i think is really special about the three of us uh and there's a few, there's quite a, there's a handful more is that we're part of this part of this um, private club that uh, that circled uh, Randy Parish in Mysore. <laughs> we're we're part of a very you know a select group of people who were really uh, under his wing. And uh, when I when I see Hane, I'm always remembered. I always remember that it's like oh yeah, Randy Uncle. Randy Uncle. Oh, Randy Uncle. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> 
We should get Randy on the podcast. That's impossible. But so <laughs> I just wanted to introduce Hane. Hane is the Finnish-born Hane Sudama, and has she has taught yoga close to 20 years, is also a certified somatic Pilates instructor. Recently, she has learned the art of handstands from professional circus performers. And if you could see her Zoom, her Zoom photo, you'd Good, you, good Lord, you know what I mean. Um, you may know her on Instagram with her um, spread leg uh, handstands. Uh, she travels and teaches handstands and core strength workshops as well. She continues to study anatomy and uh, dance and ballet in New York and Helsinki. Goodness, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I'm I'm worried now that I we might even have to edit that part out about this the this the spread leg handstands. <laughs> There's only so much editing one human can do, so you better yeah. just like and you actually know. the be, the better name is a straddle handstand. Straddle handstand. Yes. Gosh, yes. I'd like to do one yes. of those. What kind of circus gurus have you been learning from, honey? Um, my main teacher has been Yuval Ayalon. Mm-hmm. And a couple of other circus performers. And I've been studying under him. And he's been a great help in my handstand journey. Wow. Is he in Finland? No, he's uh, Israeli and he's based in France. Actually, okay. Mark has been studying with him a lot as oh, well, Robertson. Yes. Right. I thought I recognized the name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mark yeah. mentioned that. Yeah. And I think maybe Kino did some work with Kino him. Kino did too. some work with him as well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I kind of have a, this image of who he is in my mind now. It was my it was my grandmother that taught me how to do handstands. Yeah. Oh I've wow. Heard this story, but you can tell it if you have. Like. I told the story in the podcast before. I don't know. Uh, I, sure. We should really get to the guest, but um, <laughs> oh, please tell the story. Quickly, <laughs> I want to hear that. <laughs> well, my, I I knew my grandmother as this um, angry old drunken Swedish woman. Uh, she, she really very, very rough on my mom and they had a tough relationship, but she was always had a beer in her hand and a cigarette in the other. And then later in life, she had a cigarette in one hand and the oxygen mask in the other hand. Um, but there was always a beer. Milwaukee's best was always very nearby. Paps blue ribbon. Um, I was at a, I was at a, um, I was a young man and I was, I'd never done handstands before. And I was at a wedding uh, for one of my uncles, uh, or my, one of my cousins rather. And um, we were sitting there, and and all of the boys were all showing off, doing their hand, trying to do handstands at the wedding, at the wedding party. And Grandma was smoking and looking at them, and she was she, she just turned to me, and it was so dismissive as she was. And she said, "They're just using their muscles." It was like. Well, how, I mean, how else do you do a handstand, Grandma? You don't use your muscles. And she she took a, a, a you know, I don't know what you do, whiff on the smoke, a drag. She took a drag on her cigarette and she said, what you do, you put your hands down, you find a spot, find a spot on the ground. You kick up, everything falls into place, and then you can stay, stay there all day. I was like, oh, that's that's it. And I realized later in Ashtanga Yoga, like that really is it. There's nothing more yeah, to right. it than yeah. the spot, find the spot, 
let everything fall into place. And then, yeah, you can have a conversation with people. You can just stay up there. And it's not really that much more complicated. <laughs> it seems like there could be a little bit more involved. Yeah. No, she yeah. was cool. She would walk yeah. around the house on her hands. She walked up the stairs on her hands. My mom said she'd stay up there for like 30 minutes. Wow. And she was really oh, like, wow. she was a kind of a gifted handstander. Um, but I just knew her as this like pot bellied old long armed Swedish one. She was really nuts. <laughs> is that is that what you're like, Hane? Is that how you do it? Do you just let uh, your belly do the work? I don't think you even have a belly, though. I I hope I don't have that big a belly. And neither. I don't drag on cigarettes, so. Yeah, the cigarettes really help the handstands. So how do you how do you do it? How do you do your handstand? Well, I think I basically just kick up, but I don't stay there, unfortunately, 30 minutes. Mm. And I think it needs a lot of training. So lately, I haven't been really getting into it that much. So I feel mm. it's like slacking immediately. Mm. It requires quite a bit of core strength. I think that's what uh, many people don't realize is you have to yeah. have yeah. a lot of core strength to keep the body in alignment yeah. so that yeah. things can fall into place. As you yeah, say. because it's actually easier to do a kind of a back bend handstand that we call a banana. Uh, yeah, the body yeah. is more stacked, so it's kind of easier for balance in a way as well. Instead of is, trying to get more to the straight line, activating the butt and the legs more. And right, is that allowed? Are we allowed to do that? To do what? To do the banana. Because I do that. I know for sure that I do that little banana. I mean, I there's no the... right or wrong, right? But I mean, ideally, when you are in a straight line, you are, it's stronger. You think so? Yeah. And yeah. you can maybe do more advanced things on your hands. Oh. And eventually, in the long run, like when you get much older, it's definitely better for your body because you're on top of your bones with your muscles oh. and your fascia. Yeah. Okay. Instead of kind of hanging a little more on the spine. Yeah. You've annual joints. You've struggled with your bones a little bit, haven't you? At times. Uh, more like with my joints. And yeah, with my bones as well, I assume, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we want to talk to you all about that because you have a, a story with your with your with your discs and your bones and your recovery that we think would be fascinating for our, our listeners. Cause yeah, sure. you know, a lot of them are are and I know who you who you are. You're broken and <laughs> You want to be fixed. I I want to say I I can't quite figure it out. But when I was living in New York, I knew so many Finnish people. Uh, people like Tanya uh, Latinen or Petri Grezinen. I don't even know how to pronounce her names. But oh, that was I, it fine. seemed it seemed like there's just so many Finnish people in New York. Can you can you explain like how that was? Why were there so many Finnish people doing Ashtanga yoga? I think you were just lucky to meet us all. <laughs> oh, were the true. Finnish people like traveling to do? I mean, there. I know there's a lot of um, when I, I mean, I don't know if it's the same today, but when I first was practicing Ashtanga yoga, I think Finland had the largest population of Ashtanga yoga practitioners per capita in the world. Yeah. In the world. Yeah. If, yeah. If not in the, the beginning galaxy. of the century, definitely in the 2000 something. Yeah. Yeah. It was huge, huge, very, very yeah. popular form of yoga. Yeah. Well, why, what is it about the Finnish people that makes them like doing this kind of thing? Well, I assume it's partly because Finnish people are normally quite quiet and they like to stay in peace and not talk and just struggle 
<laughs> so maybe that <laughs> brought them into Astanga yoga. That was actually, Lino was one of the big names in Finland eventually also then, and that was one of his ideas, being an Italian. Mm-hmm. To come because to you get Finland. To be quiet. Yeah, because you get to be quiet then. Just struggle right. with the practice. <laughs> you know, I, I I was able to to go to to Finland, and I'm I was able to meet you there, and Tanya and Petri, and even Lino, and of course um, someone who's very famous in Finland, but maybe our listeners don't know as well as Juha. Juha seems to be a kind of uh, big big deal in Finland, if I'm correct. He's like the father figure. Yeah, the father Pastana. figure. Yeah, yeah, he has a presence about him that's quite. In- incredible and spiritual to 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 look at and to feel when you're near him but but i i remember you you all organized a a tour stop uh for for guruji and sharat and saraswati they all came to finland do you do you remember that was it just the the one time they all came there together was that like 2007 or something? No, they first came 2001. That's when I first actually met Guruji in 2001. And then they came again on 2006. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. It was 2006. Okay. Yeah. So like something like October or something. And I, and I remember I went there and there was this massive gymnasium and it was full of Finnish people and they were all looked like like death metal rockers they're all like dark and tattooed and mohawks and black wearing black and they're all like really intimidating but then Russell, i don't think we all looked like that no it was it was You're very like a ray of sunshine you honey. are kind of ray of sunshine but it's like really dark energy and and i walked into the into the room and yet there's all of this kind of punk rock energy and there were hundreds and hundreds of of you all and yet it was like a library it was the quietest room of hundreds of people that I've ever, ever encountered in my life. And even during the class, you could hear yourself breathe. You could hear like your foot scraping on the yoga mat. You know, it was incredibly quiet. You're an incredibly quiet group of like forest people. <laughs> but that's how most of us Finns are, right? Yeah. Yeah. It seems that way. Are you, are you, I I know that people talk about Petri this way as being a kind of forest person, a kind of woodland elf. Are you, are you that way? Are you like that? Are you more a a city girl? Are you a, a bright lights, big city girl? I'm definitely a city girl. I love seaside Mm. and I love the cities. Yeah. So and the older I get, the more I realize actually I really love my city life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you were when I'm uh, able to get to the beach as well, a little bit then to yeah. nature in the city all around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you were a flight attendant before practicing Ashtanga yoga. Is that right? Is yes. that true? Yeah. Yeah. 15 years I worked for Finnair. Wow. I flew so- all over. I love the job. I always thought I'm gonna do it till I retire, but then all of a sudden, yoga just took me in. <laughs> how did how did yoga take you? I was in New York studying contemporary dance, Mata Graham School. Mm-hmm. I always I was able to take off. We had this great government system. I was able to take off like from three to six months, and the government paid me, and they put somebody from unemployment to work on my spot. So actually, I got paid, and I went and studied dance in New York. I did wow. it actually three times. I took the time off. 
And oh. then all the those dancers, my roommate was working as he was dancing at the Mother Graham company. So she was taking yoga at Shiva Mukti. So I went hmm. with her for my first ever yoga classes. I think it was 98, 99 or something. Wow. And did that's you notice, how I got into yoga. Did you notice right away that there were a lot of Finnish people in the class? <laughs> well, at Shiva Mukti, New York? No, I think I was pretty much the only one. Or maybe Tani was there, right? Yeah, yeah, Tani. <laughs> and I, then I came back to Finland and Astanga was really huge here already then. That was 2000, I remember. It was yeah. already and then Burtiki, huge. It was huge, yeah. Petri and you have did a great job of like really building it up here, both of them. Yeah. And they still have the big school. So and then Guruji came 2001 and I immediately followed him to Mysore and I quit oh, yeah. my job as a flight attendant. Then I just started practicing yoga in India, right? <laughs> what did your parents think of that? Um, my dad passed away like a long time ago. Okay. They got divorced. I was like maybe nine months old. That's a very oh. Finnish thing, I think, too. My grandmother got divorced in, what, 40s, wow. right oh, before wow. the war only. So that was revolutionary at the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, so my great, I was never close to my dad, actually. My great-grandmother, who was fully Swedish, she also divorced her Swedish husband. That's interesting. Maybe wow. it's just more Scandinavian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe. I don't yeah. know. Wow. Yeah. Well, but, but, my mom, I mean, she was okay with it. My mom actually was a flight attendant as well. So it oh, runs wow. in the family, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you must have a spirit for adventure. Yeah, and my grandfather was a seafarer, so. Oh. oh wow. <laughs> Real spirit, yeah. So who would take care of you when your mom was on a flight? Uh, my grandparents. Your grandparents. You stayed yeah. with yeah, I lived, with, I lived with my grandparents. Actually, no, that was my grandma's new husband. The <laughs> seafarer was the, <laughs> the yeah. divorcee. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, What was she, what was she like, your grandmother? Oh, she was a character. I loved her. I mean, yeah. she mm -hmm. was a spunky old woman, definitely. <laughs> and in what way? Uh, she was very strong. Mm -hmm. yeah. And kind of revolutionary in a way and she took really great care of me mm -hmm. yeah yeah but she you said that she was a character did she did she do a lot of kind of fabulous things or was it just that that she was brave enough to be independent oh she was more like brave enough to be independent than a character she never did anything like revolutionary in her life in that sense per se but Mm -hmm. She was a strong penis woman. Yeah, wow. Great. <laughs> Did she also like to talk about herself publicly? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but neither her love life, I think. No, no. No. I mean, maybe you would open up more if we talked about your love life. I'm not sure. Um, so I don't I just don't understand why you would quit your job and move to India. Like what what like that's such an incredible decision and such a, a radical decision. Do you can you can you remember exactly what was going on in your mind and what in your heart? Because I actually I understand that your 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 name means heartland. So the mom means honey exactly, heartland. Yeah. Like what 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 in what on good earth were you thinking of? Like what happened? You just said, I have to do this. Why? Yeah, I mean, yoga just kind of took me and I felt like I couldn't like practice when I wanted to, when I needed to, whatsoever, because I was working. I remember we used to have like layovers in Asia somewhere on the plane. And I still remember when I was practicing in the galley of the plane, 
<laughs> I was well, a little surprised when I was there <laughs> yeah. in my head in the middle of the plane. Like, obviously, we were grounded there. We weren't on the air. There was no passengers, but still. Wow. <laughs> that reminds me. They're like, you're supposed to leave and like go walk around and see something. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Shortly after 9-11, I was, in, I was on a flight somewhere. Like a year later, I was on a flight somewhere. And I was like, I had to stretch and I would go and you know, you know, stretch my hamstrings in the bathroom. And then I came out and I decided to do like child pose, you know, in the galley. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, the flight attendant came out and she like did a double take because it looked like I was doing like a a salam to Islam. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. It's cool. Everything's cool. I'm not, I'm not. (laughs) They don't really like it if you stretch too much in the planes these days. I'll tell you that much. No, no, man. no. Where are you? Where are you in New York after when Guruji was there when 9/11 happened? I was. Um, I was kind of. Um, I was kind of lost. I I I just moved there from uh, from Austin, Texas, and David Swenson's uh, ex girlfriend Bella, who was a close friend of mine, had told me like you have to go. You have to study with Eddie. I was like, okay, Eddie, I don't know who that is. That sounds like the, you know, if I'm really serious about this, then that's what I need to do. And so I was looking around and there's nothing, there's no website. There's no, like, you just had to know somebody. And I knew Guruji was there on 9-11. I knew he was, you know, I knew that's what I should be doing, but I didn't know, I couldn't, I didn't know anybody that could get me there. And so I, you had to know somebody to, to know somebody. And I, mm-hmm. I didn't. So uh, I was just sitting there in Brooklyn watching Manhattan, knowing that he was there somewhere and I couldn't get to him. Okay. And then I, I was there actually yeah. then. Wow. I, I wasn't when it happened, but Finner was the first, maybe even the first airline to get a clearance to fly to New York. And mm-hmm. I remember I got there like maybe two days or three days later. And I still remember Eddie was asking me also, aren't you afraid to get here? I said, I mean, no, the horrible thing happened already. It was right. really kind of gloomy, the whole awful. Yeah. And I actually then at the time, I stayed with a guy who lived close to the area. So I was able to get there mm-hmm. close yeah. to the part where it happened. And I still remember the smell there. And it yeah. was just so sad and uh, acrid, smoky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was uh, I was at Brooklyn College uh, studying painting, and I was um, I was on the street painting in the morning. I'd been working on a um, uh, a landscape of uh, Flatbush Avenue, and uh, I was nearly finished with it. I'd been working on it for a couple of weeks, and I was excited about it. And I noticed this black, this line of black smoke go across the sky. And I thought it, to me, it looked like maybe like a deep purple cloud. And I thought, well, it's not in my painting, but I'm kind of working on the sky anyway. And so I thought, you know, I'd paint it in and it was a little bit annoying. It was late, but it was like, Oh, I'll I'll just paint it in. And then I, like a dude, on the street walked up to me and he said, you know what happened? I was like, no. Um, he said, a plane hit the World Trade Center. I was like, you're joking me. Really? And I said, yeah. I was like, well, wow. That's, and it was just at that moment, it was just like super exciting. And then I noticed a second line of black smoke. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. And I p- painted in the second line of black smoke. And I actually, I have the painting right over there on the wall. 
Oh God, yeah, because I was just about to ask if you still have the painting. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, it's just right over there. And then um, more and more people are super excited. Everyone's wanting, everybody on the street wants to talk to me because people want to talk to landscape painters wherever wherever they go. I don't know what that mm-hmm. what that's about. But, <laughs> So um, you're just sitting there. Yeah. And then so like I'm getting I'm getting like news updates like every 3 or 4 minutes people want to come up and tell me what's going on. And like this is amazing. Both buildings have been hit. And then I was I was still painting and then one of the lines of black smoke um uh, turned to white smoke. It was big. It was suddenly like big white smoke. And a guy, another guy walked up to me and said, you know, the building fell down. And it was just too, it was too surreal. It was too Mm -hmm. unreal to imagine. Like how can a building fall down from a plane hitting it? Like that thing's massive. And I got really kind of suddenly shifted and it wasn't funny and it wasn't exciting. It was, it was, it was sick. And I, I just put together all my paints and I, and I went home and that lot to the Brooklyn college, I went to the studio to watch it on TV and like everyone else. And I noticed on the way home that the whole half of the sky, the whole half of the, the, the entire sky had turned to this white acrid smoke and went over the top of us. And then you could see like, um, this this glitter of thousands of birds of white like seagulls in the sky and i didn't know what that was i just thought it was birds fleeing the smoke or something and then the 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 glittering piece the glittering birds drifted to the ground and littered the entire brooklyn college campus with sheets of paper um and the sheets of paper were amazing. They were um, from uh, Cancer Fitzgerald. The mm-hmm. um, yeah. the uh, they were financial reports from yeah. the the financial services company at the top of the tower, and they all had like a line of of burn marks around the edges of the paper. I was like, Jesus, this is um. They had they had been burned and then blown out the, the blown out of the building. And it was really kind of a, a, incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where were, where were you guys? I remember that day in Calgary here, we were, I was going to university and, uh, my partner at the time called me on the phone. I was driving and he said a plane's hit the World Trade Center because he was a stockbroker. So yeah, all the, the trading had stopped. Oh, yeah. I think I'm not sure if it had stopped yet, but it was about to stop. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so and he's always he was always watching CNN and uh, all the stock news. Yeah. And I said, oh, really? Wow. But I was driving. So I was like, that's crazy. And that was sort of it. And then I went to the university and, um, and I don't know if it was right away, but by the time I sort of made it to, uh, the humanities building, pretty much all the classes, some classes were still going, but a lot of classes had been canceled and they'd moved a television on wheels into like the main foyer so that everybody could 
gather around and watch the news. So a lot of people were just sitting around watching the news and not going to any of the classes. And yeah. it was a pretty, it was a pretty weird day. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually also driving. I remember I was helping my American yoga teacher friend to move that day. Oh, and wow. we were driving in my car. So obviously we didn't turn around. And I remember we came back to my place to watch TV, what happened. So mm-hmm. you were in, kind you of, were in it, Helsinki. Yeah. yeah, I was in Helsinki at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then three days later, you find yourself. I don't, I'm not sure if it was three days, but it was exactly when they opened, when you were able to fly there again. Right. Yeah. So it was still in time for the workshop. Right. And I was able to take the second week of the workshop still. So can you describe what that, what that was like, what the feeling was in the community or, or was it different from any other lead class that you'd taken with, with Guruji before? That was actually the first, I mean, the second time I took lead classes with Guruji because it was 2001. Mm-hmm. So I had taken it in Finland with him. Right. And then that was in New York after. I think, yeah, it must have been that year. So mm-hmm. it was obviously more somber, and but it was kind of soothing to be on the class. Yeah. Still, obviously, so. Yeah, to be around like a community of practitioners. Yeah. There's something... A little yeah. bit comforting was, about that. Yeah, and there was a pool I remember, and everything, so. There was a what? A puja. Kuruji did a big oh, puja for that. Yeah. Kuruji did a, a puja. Yeah. Did he do that with, every day? Was it this the one day that he did the puja for the... For I remember it, it was one day, I think. Yeah. It's been 20 years ago, right? Yeah. yeah. It really yeah, was oh, 20 wow. years ago now. 20, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, right? Ago. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Time is interesting. It is. It so is. You, you called you called Eddie to see if it was to talk to him about coming? Is that what happened? No, no, no. I when I saw him there. Oh, I see. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I just I just went there immediately when the flight opened. So yeah. Yeah. Can you describe what it was how you met Eddie and, and how you, you came to practice with him? Actually, Lima told me because I was working at the airline at the time and we had one day layovers always in New York. So we mm-hmm. stayed one night. So he suggested that I go and practice with Eddie. So mm-hmm. when the other crew, when they stayed and have, had nice breakfast in a nice hotel, I traipsed <laughs> there like <laughs> 5 a.m. to Eddie's. And I love <laughs> that. And I kept practicing with him, obviously, all those years after I mean, he's kind of my main teacher, Western yeah. teacher, obviously, in Astanga. So thank you. Oh, I'm always grateful. And obviously, and, then he was, his studio was in Soho, right, on Broome Street. So Baltasar mm-hmm. with the croissants and the coffee and everything was close by. That's where we all yogis gathered, right? Yeah, <laughs> Russell? yeah that's right. <laughs> you, right? Yeah. yeah, for sure. And there was, they opened up a little chai stand yeah. a block away. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And it's all about the location, especially in New York, right? Yeah. So that was yes. so great, the Soho location. What was it about Eddie's class that you liked? And, and when you were in there, what was the experience like being adjusted? How did that feel? It always felt great. I mean, obviously, it is energy there and the location, like I said, and the temples there in the Shala mm-hmm. and all the practitioners and people who taught for him. Mm-hmm. How would you I describe all that? How would you describe that energy as being different from someone else? Everybody's energy is different, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you're a wonderful storyteller, honey. That's, <laughs> that's really. So, <laughs> you, you spent a lot of time uh, practicing, though, obviously, with Petri and Yuha. And, and yeah, I mean, you I know, started, also too, right? I started my practice with Yuha mm-hmm. a little bit. I mean, he was my kind of main teacher, but then almost immediately, it was maybe my third or fourth Astanga class. Lino came to Finland and right. he pulled me through all, inter- all, all primary series in one setting. Yeah. And I still remember him telling me like, well, your body is ready, but your mind is not. <laughs> oh. Oh. Interesting. So it was like you'd been practicing. This was your third class, basically? Third or fourth just... class, yeah. I had taken right. one weekend work, so I remember with you and a couple of other classes. Yeah. <laughs> Lino came and I went through the whole, flew through the whole primary. Wow. <laughs> wow. So and I actually you... flew through all three series pretty much almost in three years. Yeah, how did how did intermediate <laughs> series happen for you? Uh, I I mean Guruji pulled me through intermediate like almost in two, three classes on my second trip to Mysore. Okay, was oh that 2003? So, and Sarat was almost trying to stop him. I remember I was then working up to Kapotasana or something, and he pulled me through from Kapotasana all the way to the end. Right. In one class. <laughs> that wow. was 2002, I think, or 2003, the one, so, yeah. Okay. In the Meister class, you did that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's so unusual. <laughs> People must have reacted a little differently. Oh, I remember Anna and Hamis were there and they were cracking up about it. And yeah. Basa, who's from Poland, was also yeah. like tall and blonde. She had been there before me and Guruci was actually passing her pretty quickly through also. And then I came and maybe he was like, oh, another agile, tall, strong blonde coming in and <laughs> he put you on the basha program <laughs> yeah wow yeah because that was yeah. it wasn't very common back then no to it wasn't and so he many wasn't, yeah postures and he wasn't he wasn't really actually giving that many postures out anymore neither at that time because mm-hmm. yeah, the first I can... time i went to mysore it was still the Lakshmipuram, the old shala yeah and yeah. then the second time it was already the biggest shala so right yeah. And then Sharat was a little bit more in charge of giving out postures. I know that that kind yeah. of started the whole posture yeah. Yeah. Uh, war. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Giving and yeah. taking away. And- giving and taking yeah. away between yeah. Kavi Joyce and Sharat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when I when I met you right around that time, uh, I I think it was at Randy's house. I think Lino and Randy had a very close relationship. And I think a lot of us maybe knew Randy from Lino. Is that, was that true for you? Yeah, I knew Randy from Lino from Italy, actually, from mm-hmm. one of the workshops there. Randy so we to, got to, to be friends Italy. there. Yeah. Oh, God, I can't imagine yeah. that. It's unthinkable. <laughs> I, yeah, he, he used to like the Italian ice cream as well, <laughs> besides some other people. <laughs> Because I only know Randy, and Randy's this wonderful Southern gentleman from Virginia, I and who would live, who had a house on Contour Road, and so I only know Randy as a kind of recluse who never left the house, maybe to buy coffee occasionally from um, the Coffee Brothers. I forget the, the yeah. Joyce Brothers Coffee. Joyce Coffee. Yeah. But, but most <laughs> of the time, you'd find Randy sitting in his living room talking you know talking to all of us in a in a kind of like at like a senate like a senate floor <laughs> and 
And so I kind of, it's unthinkable for me to think of him as anywhere else but his own living room in, in Gokulam. So you can't put him in Italy by the pool in a swimsuit eating the ice cream? That's un- around? Oh, that's unthinkable. <laughs> I can't imagine. It was either that or two in the morning squatting very quietly in front of the shallow. <laughs> you know, like, and do not, do not touch him. Do not attempt to talk to him. He's trying to get into his quiet place. And then he's going to go in and, and go through his practice. And really, as for a 60-year-old man, he had a magnificent practice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Actually, you know, now I remember, I met him first time in Kovalam oh, with Lino. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I used to go there and mm-hmm. practice and assist Lino, and Randy was there. So, and then after that, he was in Italy too, and then in Mysore, obviously. Right. And I think he's still in, he's still in Mysore, so. Yeah, he is. So I remember um, in 2004, which was my first trip to Mysore, um, when I met you, because you were there then, uh, you had just had a very serious back injury. And I remember Jeff saying, oh, you know, that's honey. You should have seen her last year. She was an amazing practitioner and went all the way through intermediate series. And I think she's finished advanced with Lino. And and at that time, you were even having trouble walking in 2004. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened? Yeah, I could barely walk. I, I was walking in this 45 degree angle. Yeah. My body was kind of stuck for more than a year. It was actually, I think it was like too big movement and definitely the back bends a little bit. My back was never really bendy. I don't have a gymnastics background. I used to play basketball now on national team level when I was a teenager mm-hmm. up to my 20s. So, and I was doing quite advanced poses, even catching my knees on backbends and everything. And I didn't have the knowledge and the strength, what I have now and the core control. Mm-hmm. So I think I just pushed myself a little bit over the limit. And it started slowly and all of a sudden it just kind of gave in. And what had happened, they thought that it couldn't be anything serious. So I went through all these Ayurvedic treatments and chiropractical treatments. So I kind of ended up squeezing the rest of the disc out. So I had like no disc left and they say the spinal canal was almost like stuck. So they were saying that it was a wonder I wasn't already paralyzed. Yeah. And they told me I later I saw all the like our best orthopedic surgeons and they told me they have to like operate it or otherwise I maybe even still never walk again because the nerve had been stuck like over a year already so badly. Mm. But now it's actually, it's kind of healed. It's just a little more stuck together than the other parts of my spine. So, and right. it never fused together. That's also, they say it's strains. Because right. normally if you lose the disc, then it fuses together the bones. So, Right. Yeah. So you were feeling like some back pain for a little, like how long yeah. leading up to well, it? I felt every time little back pain when I caught like my ankles or something, but mm-hmm. I had a, like kind of a crazy mind also. I used to show jump with my horse and just doing things like when I was younger. So I figured, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It's just like maybe opening. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. And I mean, I remember having back pain too. And I asked Maya Hess, who's, uh, you know, very flexible, very yeah. <laughs> yeah. natural yeah. backbender. Oh, yeah. and I, Maya. I said to her, yeah. does it hurt when you backbend? And she says, no, not at all. 
And I said, yeah, well, no, it's I'm getting this really yeah. painful sensation in my spine when I backbend. I said, do you think that that's okay? And she said, no, I don't think that's okay at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe yeah. I should relook at this. For, for yeah. our listeners at home, you have to understand that for these super flexible and strong Ashtangis, for one of them to be referred to as bendy, <laughs> bendy Maya, <laughs> that's how flexible we're talking about. Yeah, like ridiculous. Ridiculously flexible. But yeah. it was interesting because it was a normal thing for me too at that time to just always feel like like a pain in my back when I was backbending. And, and I thought that that was just sort of how it was supposed to feel. Exactly. Yeah, get bendy or something. And even now, I mean, nowadays when I teach, many people say that they actually get back pain when they backbend. Right. And I'm always like, don't. I mean, ideally you should use really, it's more like a belly thing and using the legs and the butt and lengthening the spine because backbend dropback is a huge actually movement for the spine. Yeah. Did you hear that? Did you hear what she said? Yeah. Use the back, the belly, the leg. She said, use the butt. And well, yeah, in a way. How do you, yeah, see, exactly. this is, this is a point that Harmony and I argue over in public. How do you mean <laughs> oh, use the oh, butt? Oh, interesting. Yeah. If you, if you don't activate your butt, you can't really activate your core. That actually more energetically, we can refer to pandas. And if you don't activate your butt and your inner thighs and your legs, your core is not active. And then you can't lengthen your spine before you backbend. And also the more you are able to activate the glutes, it kind of supports your lower back because then you can't take that much movement from there. And the main ah, thing is that when you activate the, the big butt muscle, gluteus maximus, it's a contra muscle to hip flexors. And ideally, the more you lengthen your groin to hip flexors, the more space to, you get to your lower back when you backbend. Yes. So you really want to feel like you're kind of lifting up from under your butt. It's not only like you squeeze together. Yeah, you want to feel maybe a little bit the sitting bones together, but it's more like lifting the butt up, allowing yeah. the hip flexors, the groin to lengthen. Then you get space for your spine before you go back. Yeah. I started doing something like that when I had really severe SI pain or sacroiliac mm -hmm. pain in my butt. So I started mm -hmm. really maximizing the, the contraction in my butt to stabilize that so that I, I wasn't going into that, that sacrum as much. But there was so much resistance to that idea in my peers like, no, 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 your butt has to be completely flaccid. Yeah, but you squeeze your glutes together which yeah. squeezes the lower lumbar. And it's not so much about squeezing the glutes. It's about contracting them in sort of a downward or an upward motion. I mean, depending on which downward part. And upward yeah, motion. depending yeah. on what if part of the glute you're, you're if, talking if about. If you're following at home, yeah. it's a downward and upward motion. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, it's it's obvious, an isometric yeah. contraction so that you're lengthening while you're you're lifting and lengthening exactly yeah, and but you I, really want to feel like you're pulling your pelvic floor up yes yes exactly but i've had, so I've had people like, say no no the, the 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 glutes should be able you should be able to shake them like jelly well, oh god no anatomically <laughs> saying that the sign what they i mean everything changes there's no right or wrong right and the scientists change everything every half a year mm -hmm. in their knowledge but yes they have to be active and for somebody, it's the same when people talk about handstands, they say, oh, your belly can be totally relaxed. Yeah, if your deep muscles are already more than 30% active. But in order to get there, to get the deep muscles to activate, that's the thing. Then we really have to use it more. 
I had actually one woman who was doing back then so that she was squeezing the butt too much. It closed her spine. She used to be an Olympic level hockey player now in her fifties, but still, and then her butt was really like active and tight from the skating. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But normally like, especially as women can't really activate the butt enough. Yeah, well, you guys can do it more, but it's really like Harmony said, more like the lifting and isometric. not just squeezing. It's the same for pandas. You don't really want to squeeze your belly just together. Yeah. And how we get the idea, each and every one of us, it's always different, right? Yeah. What works for us? How? What's the clue to? Yeah. Because I feel like when you're backbending, the sacrum needs to be able to move forward a little. Yes. You know, yeah. Not too much. Cause then when you pull it too much, then again, it closes the back more. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And some I like acrobats, they can do it. The backbends like ballet style that the sacrum doesn't move only before when you are more than halfway, then you let it go. But then they already have so much control and flexibility. So it's different. Right. From us mere mortals, right? <laughs> right. So do you remember, like, were you in a particular posture or did something happen that made, like, the straw that broke the back? The back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what happened, it was obviously all those two deep back bends without the control and strength and for my spine structure. Like I said, my spine was never like, I could have never made it to gymnastics when I was a kid. My spine was never flexible enough, mm-hmm. bendy. But then it happened when I was actually doing primary forward bending. And yeah. even there, I wasn't using my core obviously enough. So I was kind of squeezing. So it happened on the contra movement then that it sounds kind of cramped and it never let go for couple of years right. I didn't sleep for almost a year properly and I remember I was teaching I was able to sit and I was able to drive the car but every time I opened the car draw I always kind of plucked out from pain but oh I think that gosh. was the only thing it kept me moving I was getting up like Whoa. every 45 minutes then I couldn't stay in the bed neither because wow. that's, that's what I was going to say is that when I met you at Randy's because you, you remember I, it functional. wasn't pretty huh yeah yeah it i mean your spine was like your hips were in one area and your torso i would say was like completely in another area if it looked like your body was horrible kind of cut in half yeah that's what you that's how you and your dad (laughs) sit yeah it's like my spine but but more extreme (laughs) and then also you were kind of stuck forward like you mentioned at yeah like in a a different yeah yeah and i remember one orthopedic surgeon telling me that he's never seen anything like that but that was my body's way of kind of keeping some movement on the spinal cord still because otherwise my legs wouldn't have moved anymore Wow. But I remember I was told like, and then I went, Joseph, who was Guruzzi's manager at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I was in my then. He actually dragged me because he had had some back pain. He dragged me to MRI there. Right. And I was kind of really scared to go because I figured, and then they said, told me that they have to operate it immediately in India. Sure. I can't even fly home because I'm going to get paralyzed on the pain. Yeah. And I remember I went to see this hospital then in Mysore with somebody, maybe with Randy. And they had been operating the spines of those rickshaw, the guys who pull up the rickshaws, you know, not the drivers. And they kind of still put something like a partly wooden part in between their spine when they operated on it. 
Jesus oh my Christ. God. And then I remember I called to Finland to one of the orthopedic surgeons who I had seen and who had told me that there can't be anything horrible happening because I was still so bendy. Anyway, then when they did the test, and I remember he telling me, like, you never treat the pictures, you treat the symptoms, that he was horrified. So he's like, no way, just fly back home. Don't go wow. to the there, luckily. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I wouldn't be sitting here chatting for you if I yeah. had had that done. And they don't wow. even do that kind of surgeries really anymore. Even then, yeah. they didn't do it in Western countries, I guess. So, so were you in Mysore when it happened? No, I was in Finland, but then I flew to Mysore. Okay. I still Whoa. went to Mysore. I figured that, yeah. <laughs> and and what was it like? What you know, you've had this very traumatic back injury. Um, you're, you know, been told that potentially you might be paralyzed. Everyone's shocked that you can even walk still and you get on a plane, you fly no, to that Mysore. Was after I went to India because I never had the MRIs taken when I was here because okay. they thought that it can't be that horrible, that maybe it's a, like a piriformis right. symptom that the butt muscle is just stuck so much because I was still so bendy. Right. Okay. And okay. actually I flew, I, I went first to Kovalam, to Kerala. Yeah, you know, I was there practicing, and then from there, I stayed in India actually five months at that trip. Yeah, I can't, I can't so, understand. So you, you went... can't walk or sleep, <laughs> and how can you? Why, why even practice at that point? Why even do something? Do anything? I just put my faith on it, and I think it was good to move, but maybe I did a little too much practice. Obviously, it could have been maybe better if I would have done a little more gentle. But I was able to do something. I was. I always remember one day I was practicing on my knees because I was so much in pain in front of the big states. And mm-hmm. Eddie was on my other side, and Annie Pace was on my other side, and they were both doing fourth or something. Yeah. And I was there on my knees in between them in front of the stage. And I thought, well, wow. it can't get any worse than this. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a, that's another really interesting question is, I mean, what did your practice look like? How were you practicing and how much were you able to actually do before it was like beyond? Well, you remember how I looked when I was hobbling around. So yeah. you can imagine that I wasn't able to do that much. Yeah, And then they told me that there's no way that I should drive a motorbike because I had always rented a motorbike there. Yeah, yeah. I remember. And I was miserable. And then I figured like, okay, I don't care. If I'm going to die on the motorbike, I bought my own motorbike then. And I, was, <laughs> and I think I remember, you know, somebody telling, they still remember when I was driving because I was on that 45 degree angle. So I was like hanging on the right sidebar or yeah. something. Oh my yeah. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. But at least I felt happier on my bike. I had this big black Yamaha. Yeah. Maybe you remember it. I, I do. remember. I do, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to ask you, like, I, I don't understand the, the piece that you said about not having a flexible spine and not having a gymnastic spine. It doesn't quite jive for me because it seemed like the guys that were really motoring ahead in Mysore, as far as like getting lots of postures and finishing third, they were all like super backbenders. And so I'm confused. Why do you think that they were moving you so quickly, even if you didn't have the spine? What was it? In your practice, like you have all this mobility, it sounds like in the, your limbs. I had, I had a lot, lot, yeah. My limbs are very mobile. My joints are very mobile, overly mobile, actually, always. Mm-hmm. Both internal, external rotation on my hips, then and everything. I'm still pretty open on my hips, actually. Even mm-hmm. though now I have a lot of hip trouble, bones are together on my hips too. So I still don't right. walk properly at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah. a different story. Yeah. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, I was bendy and I was able to catch my ankles at the time because of the bendiness in general, but I'd never really had the like my lower lumbar was not never really flexible in that sense. Actually, it's more oh. flexible now than it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I see. So like the 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 psoas and the quadriceps and the shoulders and even the ankles were probably where you were getting most of your back bend, but not the lower back. Not the lower back that much. Yeah. Wow. My upper back is actually flexible. So my spine is kind of the other direction. Then it should be ideal in a way. So mm. I got more from my upper back. And then I had quite open hip flexors and I had pretty much strength mm-hmm. and my shoulders were open. So that helped, but obviously it wasn't great for my body in the long run. Do, yeah. do you think all of this mobility created a, a, a pattern in your lower back of, of protection? Like it was, it knew like your lower back knew it was unstable and so that it froze everything around it. Uh, even maybe, from maybe yeah. from an early yeah. age. Yeah. And then you're trying to get into it and then it all fell apart. No, it's the, from the early age, it's the spine structure. My mom has the same spine structure. Ah, so that's close. Okay. That's genetic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we all have. I mean, you can see it in people immediately. Obviously, if you are less than 20 years old, your bones are still mobile and softer. Mm-hmm. So when they put kids like three, four, five years old whatsoever, they can like mold their spines, but that's yeah. not necessarily mm-hmm. healthy either. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We have, I think, I think I have a similar spine to you. (laughs) I I have to take care of it too, because also it's a little bit shifted to the right. It's twisted and there's some scoliosis in there and it's, it, uh, it definitely acts up every once in a while. We discovered your niece was the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Of the two (laughs) girls, one of them has it. The other one doesn't. Yeah. The, The hips that are, like uh, two inches off to one side. Yeah. Yeah. And they say like, if they take an MRI or x-rays from people's spines, nobody has the per- perfect spine, like, exactly. you know, kind of mm-hmm. S-shape straight mm-hmm. without any curves. But nowadays they even say that we don't even want to strive for balance per se, that actually we are supposed to be a little unbalanced, but mm-hmm. just right. work with that and stabilize it then. Yeah. And that's the amazing thing. I mean, and, and the work that you've done, um, you know, even just getting up and moving every day, even like on your hands and knees doing sun salutations. <laughs> I mean, it's all of that seems to have really helped to increase your mobility again and bring circulation into the area. And I mean, now you're doing amazing things with your body. Yeah, even though I feel like I'm stiffer than ever before, but I also actually feel that I'm stronger than ever before. So that's supporting my body, especially right. as when I get a little older. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I I wanted to ask you about about that because I I'm kind of going through something a little similar in that um, things have really gone badly in my in my spine, and it it was a kind of relief actually. And I wanted to ask you about, you know, you have a, there's a cohort of people maybe that you're practicing with, or maybe I'd like to ask if there was, you know, you have peers that are all going to Mysore with you and you're doing spectacular things in Mysore. Do you, and then it all stops and you're no longer able to do the things that your peers are doing. And I wanted to know if you had those kinds of thoughts or, or even feelings that, oh, I'm not able to keep up. Did, did that ever occur to you? 
Well, maybe it occurred, remember, when I was practicing between Eddie and Annie at that time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was the height of it. So after that, I was just happy that my back was healing and I wasn't in pain. And I was able to do actually now, like I said, I'm able to do much more kind of harder things, I feel, than Mm -hmm. I was able to do then more using just my joints. Yeah. Well, because I I really felt like there was a, a, a good couple dozen people who were about my age all coming to Mysore at the same time, who all were spectacular that I was trying to keep up with. Did you feel that way? No. Okay. Maybe also okay. because I advanced so quickly in Mysore on my second trip already. Right, mm-hmm. right. Because that that feeling like I needed to keep up with them was was where all of this real suffering came from for me in my practice. And that it was no longer just me trying to explore what I could do. It was me trying to keep up with them. And so when my back really finally collapsed, it was really very much a, a relief that I no longer had to keep up. I could just, you know, try and, and do something that, that worked for me. And that, that's what I look, that's what I see when I see you now is someone just completely liberated and you're doing what you enjoy and you're being healthy and you're, you're seeking strength and flexibility and balance, but in a very, in a very kind of charmingly egoless way. It seems just so much about being, about being free and being, and having, and having a nice time. Yeah. That's how I feel nowadays. Definitely. And I love, like, my favorite thing is to take ballet because I don't teach that. Mm-hmm. And I, Pilates is great because it's actually the base for everything, be it mm-hmm. yoga or shoveling or whatever, so ever Olympic sport, but actually that's kind of just activating the core, like the yeah. pandas, and then going from there. And, and I love my yoga practice. I like to do sometimes like just standing poses and second up to Ustrasana or something. And I really enjoy doing it. It's not like I'm pushing through third or anything. And I couldn't even now because I have hips things. So also right. because I was too bendy on those doing Vipadas and assisted too much. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like when you're um, very young and very capable, maybe like physically gifted in a way towards asana and you're able to do all of these very advanced postures um it's sometimes i don't know i'm i'm curious like if it's not so good for your body in the long run <laughs> yeah <laughs> because i feel like for many people who are very very you know gifted when they're young as as you age um you feel the effects of those extreme ranges of motion, maybe a little bit more in your body than if you hadn't like pushed into those. Exactly. And that's what happens to top athletes actually often, but that's why I always try to tell students too, that we don't get points for what we do, that yoga is actually therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So trying not to push too much that it's different if you want to compete in something. Yeah, obviously that's something you shouldn't do in yoga. If you want to compete in something, inevitably that you're going to get hurt by by doing it. It's going to have an it's going to take a toll uh, if you're going to have that kind of physical ambition. Mm -hmm. And I think we're all you know trying to 
trying to manage and heal from that early, those early ambitions mm-hmm. that we exactly. have. Exactly. Yeah. You look at, um, you know, you look at athletes and they, there's a kind of diminishing return as they get older and what they can accomplish given what they want to do. And it's always about what, what, how, like they say this all the time, how much do you have left in the tank? Mm-hmm. Cause yeah. it's a, it's a, it's like a, it's transactional and they, you're going to give up your long-term health for what you can accomplish now. Right. Yeah. That's very exactly. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And even like, if you look at uh, like, say other types of professions, people who are professional athletes, like say ballet dancers or gymnasts, or even Cirque du Soleil performers, the ones that are, um, you know, very uh, centered on flexibility. You know, if you're 30, 35 you're ancient mm-hmm. right like yeah there's not many professional you know ballet dancers because it's such a an extreme art form and yeah and it requires so yeah. much physicality and range of motion in your body that are like beyond 35 mm-hmm. you're yeah. like a grandmother in the ballet world at yeah. 35 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but did you see actually now in olympics there was a gymnast a female Oh, was she was 40, 46. Yeah, yeah that's, that's incredible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was she doing like the vault maybe or something? Yeah. yeah. More about yeah. 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 power and but strength. Still. Yeah. yeah, really. Yeah. One one thing that I'd I'd heard about the Cirque du Soleil is um to, to just as just to counter as a counter argument, is that a lot of them work in a way that's very sustainable. And so you get um a lot of older backbenders in that profession, because so much about what they do is balancing strength with their flexibility. Exactly. And that's what actually ballet dancers do a lot now, especially like they say New York City ballet is the one that has been like mostly working even more in the gym and the strength. And now it goes everywhere in the ballet world as well, mm-hmm. that they really go and do cardio and weights. Right. And besides the ballet, also the female Right, mm-hmm. so that it's so more it's holistic. Kind of, yeah. yeah, and it's kind of finding the stability and the mobility always. Yes, yeah. that's it's hard to balance. And mm-hmm. and so you never you never danced as a as a child. It was just it was basketball. It was basketball, yeah. <laughs> but that's so crazy to me because it seems like basketball would would be very toning for your 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 muscular system, like you'd be a, you know, a strong, powerful legs and, you know, a, a strong arms and that you wouldn't have all of this hypermobility. It's genetic. I still had it. Yeah. And I mean, I, st- I started practicing yoga. I was 35 and wow. I quit my basketball. I was like oh. 20 or 22 or something. Yeah. So in meanwhile, I was doing aerobics or whatsoever was then at the craze. So, right. Yeah. Wow. So when you had your back injury, how old were you? Mm, 37, I think. Oh, my God. Yeah, wow. You were just a baby in the practice. (laughs) So obviously, if I would have been like 25 when I started the practice, I guess my back would have felt that because it would have recovered so much quicker if I would have been younger. So. Yeah, that's if, if you had good training to you know to have to really find ways of supporting the back rather than than just you know flopping into it. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. I had I had heard this. Maybe 
you you could disabuse me of of the notion. Did you were even when you were really hurting, you were still doing the backbends with Guruji. You you really trusted him. I, I heard. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I'm not sure if it was a little too big movement, definitely for my spine, but obviously also movement is medicine. So in a way, I mean, it never mm-hmm. got that bad states worse from it. Right. It's already kind of gone. So, and I mean, yeah, I had a, I was very trusting with him, definitely. Mm-hmm. I remember he would always do the dropbacks with you every day. Yeah. In the and room. he saw every day how my back was, because some days he didn't do them if he saw that I was more in pain. So every day he noticed like what was the states of my pain at that time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He. Yeah. Yeah. He was very, uh, I think, like focused on trying to create a, a healing kind of experience for you in there. Yes. Yes, definitely. And also Sarat and Saraswati took me, Saraswati took me to her doctor at the time also. Mm-hmm. and. They were all very supportive. Yeah. Wow. It's such a very different, you've had such a very different Ashtanga career than, than I've, than I'm used to. It's, it was such a phenomenally. Uh, it was such a big rise and such a big flop after yeah. that, right? Yes. A, yeah. Most, like your entire Ashtanga yoga career, you could say is post-accident. Yeah. And that's, and that's mostly really, yeah, in a way. Yeah. And for our, for me and, and Harmony and I think our, our peers, like we were building to something gradually and now we're all in kind of various stages of retirement. <laughs> uh, but it's like, you know, we, we didn't, there's not many of us who had a kind of a similar experience to you. Like it's really, it's really fascinating. Yeah, and I remember even before my back went out, when Guruji had finished my second, the next week he said, okay, now we start third. Wow. wow. Yeah. And, and it had... didn't really happen that much at that time. So. <laughs> no. 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 He was just going to take you the next day through the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but is it true that you had you had practiced third with Lino by this point already? Yeah. Yeah. Lino and actually yeah, I took workshop with John Scott too. So I remember I still have some peaks when I was practicing third with him and... <laughs> I mean, and that's a very fast progression. If you had only been practicing not even two years and you're already pretty much doing all of the advanced series. Yeah, close to three years, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's incredible. Mm-hmm. That's really fast. But it's also maybe a blessing that this happened because you were you forced you to like approach the practice in a very therapeutic way and see the practice as part of your... Uh, physical therapy and as a healing practice and maybe focus on other aspects of the practice more than just the asanas. Yeah. I think it's definitely helped me as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. That so, and in a way it definitely kept me humble too more. <laughs> right. Right. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I'm very thankful also like for my, I have a great physical therapist. I see him like once or at least twice a month Mm -hmm. and all my Pilates instructors, they work with our Olympic athletes and ballet dancers and our soccer players that actually did great this year. So Mm -hmm. they really work with the great athletes and they are physical therapists and Pilates teachers. So they have really taught me a lot. I'm so grateful for that as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, we should, we should probably let you go. I want to kind of ask you about, um, um, uh, your more your more personal life maybe off camera 
So I'm gonna ask, maybe we should kind of close up so we can ask some of those other questions. We could offline. Are you teaching in uh, Helsinki right now? I was teaching pretty much through the summer when the regular teachers were on summer holiday at Petris and Juha School. And I had a great time. And today was actually the last day of my teaching. Mm-hmm. So I'm so grateful and happy for all my students and the school and Juha and Petri and those teachers I was subbing. Yeah. So I've been doing that for many years, that every time. And now actually I teach also some classes and some Pilates classes, yoga-based things at school during the year. And, and nice. it has been so great after this year we all had it right yeah yes, yes. last winter yeah last winter was the first for like maybe four 40 years i spent in finland normally mm. i always been going somewhere a little warmer and actually started biking so yeah. i was biking through the ice and snow when it was like minus 15 celsius it was really kind of interesting oh my gosh. <laughs> besides swimming in the sea you forgot to ask me about the sauna and see, but you oh, can do yes. that. That, that was that was <laughs> that was incredible. I don't know if if you were with us that day, but Petri took me to the sauna, as they say in Finland, the sauna, and uh, it was really kind of very different from anything I'd ever done before. Where, uh, like, the old ladies in there were like exhorting everyone on more steam, more steam, and it got to the point where I felt like there were like little needles coming out of my nostrils and ears it was so incredibly hot and I thought I'm not going to be able to make this I'm not going to be able to stand this this is too much this is gonna and then Petri said okay we're gonna go outside now I said okay thank god I guess we're done we've only been in here a few minutes and now we're gonna jump in the North Sea and it's like it's this is October (laughs) <laughs> and we're in the Scandinavia. And it's like, we're all jumping in. And I was like, this is insane. But there was still not even ice yet, Russell. Oh my God. <laughs> That's nothing. And, <laughs> and it's like, it, it was like, it, it was, it was kaleidoscopically cold as we jumped in the water and it said, okay. And I was like, I've never understood anything so incredibly cold. It's like, now we're getting back in the sauna. I was like, and we did it seven times back and forth like that. And I thought, okay, this actually, it was like my entire, like all my skin peeled off and I had a fresh baby skin. Is that just, is that? It's it's great because it's really great for your recovery as well. You know, the thing like Mm -hmm. when we get older, the thing that suffers most is the recovery time. Right. So when you go to the sauna and then you go to the cold sea, it's even better if it's like freezing. So the water is like about zero Celsius, 34 Fahrenheit. Yeah. And there's just a hole in the ice, right? Oh it's God. actually great for your mind as well. It really yeah. gives you this energy boost. I love to do, I've been doing it now maybe for four or five years. And that wow. was my great COVID relief actually. Because mm. yeah. I never see right here when I bicycle there first in the cold and then I swim and wow and but it's pitch dark as well it's like pitch dark for eight months right <laughs> pretty much so yeah but i have actually three of those great lights that give you a lot of sparkle so <laughs> that helps <laughs> but is it like a like 23 hours of the day it's dark is it like that dark in south finland not really but i mean in north finland yeah i mean here we have maybe four or five hours of daylight okay. <laughs> yeah lucky. wow yeah like low daylight low. <laughs> on yeah. the horizon yeah and sometimes no yeah. sun <laughs> so oh. it's so great when the sun comes up and 
And I personally don't like the snow really too much, even though that mm. brings you lightness a little bit. But yeah, you can see why your people would be so into death metal. It makes sense. <laughs> Some mm. of us are. I never mm. really wear, but okay. <laughs> we don't all have black hair and mohawks and no. listen to it. <laughs> you, you're kind of more the classically blonde Scandinavian. Are, do you feel very Finnish? Do you or do you look like your people? I don't know. I guess so. I'm not sure, <laughs> but okay. I feel very Finnish. I'm very proud of my heritage in a way, and I feel blessed to live here and have been born here. And even though everywhere people can complain about everything, right? But yeah, <laughs> yeah. and you were lucky enough to be able to escape the winters most of your Always, life. Always, yeah. And I'm still hoping for Mexico this winter. So fingers <laughs> crossed. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Nice to be able to travel during those. Two dark months. Dark, yeah. <laughs> the darkness. Yeah. And we have a child that loves the darkness. He's like, I'm the darkness. <laughs> he loves Batman and Venom and all these very dark things. I'm like, maybe we should we should get him outside more. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you should come to Finland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Family, should... right? In yeah. the summer would be nice. <laughs> yeah, summer is beautiful. There's so much light then, and now we were blessed to have also like finish heat wave for a little while so that was mm. so great yeah. Um, yeah yeah finish heat wave it's an oxymoron <laughs> <laughs> so if somebody wanted to find you honey where could they find you oh well definitely instagram okay yeah best place <laughs> that's the best place to find her yeah, find yeah you, i guess so sure. yeah and to start people there and i have an open instagram account and obviously if somebody wants to ask me something or they can write me and yeah, that's me and there as well and What's your Instagram? Is it Hane? You can find it under Hane Yoga as well, but it's Hane Marika, M-A-R-I-K-A. Yes. That's your middle name? Yeah. Okay, Hane Marika. What does Marika yeah. mean? Uh, I don't think that means necessarily anything Doesn't per se. Any. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like very Nothing Mother crazy Jesus, between so. the Hane and Heartland, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. No, really. <laughs> uh, well it's been so nice catching up with you again i miss i really miss being at randy's house those and are all the those most... dosas remember oh. i ate as much as all you guys together i think it's true <laughs> but like that was really the most special part of it for me was just spending months and months hanging out with randy at his house and watching movies and eating and meeting people like it was yeah. just I, I yeah. felt so safe and held there. Yeah. And I yeah. think I, I needed that. Yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah. Mm. It wouldn't have been the same without Randy there. So, yeah. and yeah. we have to make him listen to the podcast. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> he, I could see him doing, I could see him listening, sitting yeah. there. Oh, eating yeah, yeah. He will do that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well. Well, thank you so much, Hane. It was such a thank pleasure. You. Thank you for yeah, sharing your story. It was so story. lovely to catch up with you guys. So, yeah. thank you're you. A, you're definitely a, a legend. And <laughs> we wanted to share your story with our, our our new young practitioners who don't know about Hane. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. I appreciate mm. it. Fantastic. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon.
standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves. There's a hard wind and the soil.